Hello, everybody, and welcome back to Improv Town. As always, I am your host, Clayton Bashad. Guys, I know it's been a little longer than usual since the last episode, but have no fear, I was just at the 15th annual Providence Improv Fest, where I did four, that's right, four interviews. And the first of those interviews, I interview the great Will Luera. Will Luera is the former artistic director of Improv Boston, or should I say the artistic director emeritus where he created the freeform improv style also known as boston or big bang style improv which is known for its fast yet seamless transitions between scenes will is now the director of improvisation at florida studio theater which is a five stage theater in sarasota that also does scripted work among other things will is also the director of the big bang improv company Artistic Director of the Pilsen Improv Festival, Artistic Associate of the Chicago Improv Festival, Artistic Advisor to the Women in Comedy Festival, and Part-Time Faculty at Boston College. Will tours globally as an improv and theater actor, director, and instructor. He performs and teaches regularly all across North America, South America, Europe, and Asia. Alright guys, enjoy. Oh yeah, and if you like this podcast, don't forget to rate and review us. All right, cool. So you want to just, I don't really know a lot about your background. Sure. Do you want to just first talk about how you got into improv just in general as okay. an art form? Yep. And then, and then where it's gone from there? Sure. Excellent. Yeah, so I first got into improv in the spring of 93. So just over 25 years ago. It was in college. I wanted to do theater, uh, but I couldn't find a way to audition for any of the plays uh, because I wasn't a theater major, so I didn't have like any of the things like songs and monologues and all of that stuff. But then I saw a flyer for a group that was auditioning, and it just said no monologue necessary. And I didn't know what I didn't know what improv was at the time, but I saw no monologue necessary. So I'm like, all right, let me go into that. And I went in, and it was scripted. It was partially scripted. It was like a um, like a murder mystery show. Partially scripted and partially improvised. And so I got I did it. I got the part. And even though there was a lot of line memorization that had to happen, there was a lot of improv. And that was my introduction to it. And then for my the remaining three and a half years of school, I was in that group all the time. And I uh, actually during my tenure there, we slowly moved the shows to be more and more improv based. Uh, and then when I graduated from Boston College, I then was cast at Improv Boston. This was like in 97. Uh, and then that was it. That it kind of took off from there. That was 21 years ago. So I would say like my professional career is 21 years. Cool. Awesome. Yeah. And then, yes, yeah, so then what happened once you started at Improv Boston? And when I started at Improv Boston, it was, uh, we only had two nights a week. We had Friday and Saturdays and it was all short form. And I kind of, I think like anybody who gets into improv, like you get in hard, like you're right. just, and it's, you're all about it. And back then, I mean, the resources weren't as easily available as now. So we had early search engines. So it wasn't even Google. It was like Yahoo and Lycos <laughs> and AltaVista or whatever that was. And Ask Jeeves. Yeah, all of that. And so I got, I did as much of the research as I could and started to learn. I remember printing up reams of paper on just like anything I could find online and I 
found out like found information about the, the Chicago improv scene, the New York improv scene. Uh, and the New York improv scene back then was tiny. UCB had just moved to New York, like just moved to it, like they were yeah. brand new. And so everything I found was was scarce. I remember going to the library and like getting books on improv. Like I got a bunch of Viola Spolin and and uh, Keith Johnstone books. And so one thing I knew early on was that I didn't want to just do short form, even though I didn't know what else was out there. Even though I, I, I was seeing things from these early internet searches and that there was other stuff, I didn't know what it was. But I knew I didn't want to just do short form. And so after about two years, two, three years of just doing short form, I decided to start to dive into long form. And at that time, I, uh, well, he wasn't a friend yet, but there was a guy that I got in touch with over the internet who uh, from Chicago who was going to spend a year in Boston. He became like my first like mentor. He kind of taught me everything about Harold. I'm like, okay, I want to learn what this thing is. Uh, also, during that time, you know, I tell people about how crazy this is, but like we would hire teachers in from New York to come and teach us. And so we would bring in like Armando Diaz, yeah. we would bring in Amy Poehler, uh, Ian Roberts, uh, Matt Besser, like all these guys were coming in. And I remember, I remember we hired Amy Poehler for like $200, a bus ticket, and a dinner. And so, that, and she, <laughs> Good deal. she, yeah, she, it was an amazing deal. And we, we had like a Boston College connection because she was a senior when I was a freshman and I knew of her. Oh, I knew, I knew who she was because I remember her as a senior and she was in the improv group in, at BC. So we had a, a, a slight BC connection. Uh, but still, she was she had just moved to New York from Chicago, right? Yeah. And so she was still kind of just an early, I mean, a slightly more successful improviser, but she was getting her career started. And right, so, yeah. Uh, that, and that was, like my, that was like late 90s, late 90s into the early zeros, uh, early aughts. Uh, and then I became the artistic director of Improv Boston in 2000. And then that kind of just is what was a whole new chapter in my life. So what are you doing now? So now I live in Sarasota, Florida. So after being involved at the Improv Boston for 17 years, an opportunity came up in Sarasota. It was a theater that I had a relationship with, a working relationship with. Uh, I had been going down every year for their festival. And then one year they told me, they're like, hey, we're going to be posting a new job if you're interested to apply. I applied. I got the job, and then it, the timing worked out perfect, actually, because my wife and I were already considering moving to a new place. Uh, we we were thinking we weren't thinking so far as Florida. Yeah. Like we were thinking like uh, Portland, Maine, or you know uh, Burlington, Vermont. We were even looking at Pawtucket, like nearby. Uh, but then this opportunity to move to Sarasota came up, and so we took it. Cool, and this is that. Is that an artistic director position, or what is uh... a... The, the, the technical position is a director of improvisation, which means that uh, we're pretty big. We're a pretty big theater. We have five stages. We have oh, cool. multiple different departments, and one of the departments is the improv department within this whole giant theater. So we do, like, traditional scripted theater. We do musical cabaret. We do cutting-edge contemporary theater. We do children's theater, and we do improv theater. And so improv theater is my department. Cool. That's yeah. awesome. <laughs> yeah, it must be cool to like work with a place that has so many resources. It's pretty like, amazing. Like when you, uh, uh, like I'll never forget like my first month at Florida Studio Theater where I was so used to doing everything on my own. Like if I had to refocus lights, I get I got a ladder and I refocused. If I needed to come up with sound effects, I either bought 
the 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 sound effects off online or somehow patched it together using whatever software I could find. When you're at a theater of that size, you, you, that's not your job. You get in touch with the sound designer, you get in touch with the lighting designer, and they come into your theater and they and you tell them exactly what you want and they do it. And so yeah, it was a pretty big change for me resource-wise alone. Uh, Demographic-wise was a big change. Of course, like location was a big change. Uh, but it was very different from working at Improv Boston. Well, I guess one question would be like, how much of a free hand do you have over over the type of improv? How is it different that it's at a scripted theater as yeah. opposed to, uh, you know, a quote-unquote comedy theater? Sure. Uh, I, a part of it is that our I came into a situation where our audiences were very used to a very a specific product uh, and it, that product being short form shows, short form review shows, variations of the short form show. And so when I came in, that's kind of what I needed to work with. And I actually did not even bring in any new shows for my first year. I'm like, let's just do short form, let's really nail this down. And then it wasn't until my second year that I started to bring in other shows and the first variation was a musical improv show. So then we started to move into into uh, uh, not only musical improv but also long form with that show. And then over time, I'm about to finish my fourth year there. Uh, I started to add more long form shows. And this past season, we added our first free form show. Free form being the style of improv that I created in Improv Boston, uh, and I brought it down to Sarasota, and it was our first year doing it. So now we have. By the end of my fourth year, we would have uh, short form, long form, musical improv, and free form. Uh, and uh, next year, we have our, our goal. I have my eyes set on introducing a sketch program. Uh, so that's that's coming up next. Cool. And so, it, are a lot of the people who are on who do the improv? Is there a lot of crossover, or is, is that an intentional part of the program? Are the people who are doing the improv also scripted actors? Every now and then, uh, some of our improv actors will get pulled into scripted shows. It's hard for it to go the other way. Um, oh, really? Because when people are there for scripted shows, they, they're doing about eight shows a week. And those shows often overlap with our improv shows. Occasionally, there'll be a, there won't be an overlap and a, uh, an actor with improv experience will jump into a show with us which is always a treat for our audiences because they see this one person who's been in a very serious scripted show suddenly pop over and do an improv set. Uh, it becomes very exciting for them. Yeah, yeah. The first place that I started, that I took improv classes, was at a scripted theater. Okay. That also did improv. Uh-huh. And there was, there, was a lot of, there was a lot of crossover. Oh, cool. Yeah, yeah I, I, was, I was one of the few people who didn't also actually do scripted yeah I mean I would love for there to be more crossover and I think a lot of our visiting artists actors would want there to be that as well I think we're just they're they're mostly limited by time Uh, it's hard for them to kind of get out of their to to uh, to yeah basically get out of their show in time to come do an improv set (laughs) even though we're literally in the same building and we share the same dressing room areas uh, it's just hard for them to jump over. <laughs> yeah, yeah, understandable. Yeah, um, and so, so you do a musical, mm-hmm. your short form, um, and then what's the long form? That so you... we have a couple of uh, well, like uh, 
we'll do some montage long forms usually we'll save that for part of our like an, we do encore sets is what we call them so after our regular short form show we'll do a 30 minute encore and that'll usually be some sort of montage uh, but the ones that uh, when we do do a long form show as part of our regular programming it's usually a very, a very stylized show so we have a show called We're Doomed which is a, a uh, show that I also started up in Boston it's basically an improvised movie but in the horror genre, horror suspense thriller genre, and so we do. We'll do that show, and it, uh, usually around Halloween, uh, and it, and you know it'll become a horror apocalyptic improvised movie, and the audience usually eats that up. And and I I do that because for an audience that is still training to get itself out of short form into long form, you kind of have to lead them along right and i think like an ex uh, an improvised movie is a very accessible form for them like yeah you get that yeah so the long form you guys do more um narrative because yep. because the, the the theater the theater yeah uh and, and narrative and highly stylized yeah however like i said before that like this season we introduced freeform and freeform can be very fast moving it could be very loose uh, very tangential uh, it could, but at the same time, it would be very theatrical. So they they respond well to the theatricality of it, uh, and they'll and because of that, they're they're able to follow the tangential, loose, fluid nature of freeform. Cool. Yeah, I want to talk more about that. I just had a few more questions yeah, about. Yeah, yeah. So I've so because I've done improv in a. Uh, yeah. Oh, hold on. All set. Yeah, so I've like, I've spent a lot of time thinking about improv at at scripted theaters, or or even just the idea of using you know using more of the resources that are available to you, like we were talking about. So have you have you like found any interesting ways of incorporating things like that? So things maybe like sound effects or like lighting or. I mean, you can have accompaniment with you know you don't need a theater to have accompaniment but right. um but thing you know things things like that that we don't normally you know you don't normally have like real real lighting at an right. at an improv show and you don't really have access to sound effects mm -hmm. and like you know you couldn't create a thunderstorm out of from the light box right. you know whereas if an improv you know you could have a whole other person who's essentially like a an extra improviser who's up there right and and that is my goal. I, uh, and actually, you, you you know, we working at an improv the, at a scripted theater has inspired me in many ways to refine and push the way I pre I, I present improvisation. I, I I mean, I part of my job, part of just working at a theater like like Florida City Theater, I have to go see scripted theater all the time. And I'll see scripted theater shows, and I'm like, I want improv that looks like this. Like I want. Uh, an improv show. There was there was one that I saw. It was an Irish play. I believe the name of it was Chapati, and they did a lot of breaking to the fourth wall, a lot of overlapping scenes, and it was a two person show, and so there was a lot of overlapping scenes with very simple sets. Uh, and I was like, a lot of the moves that they're doing right now would be very recognizable to an improv audience, but it's inside of this beautiful scripted show, and so. It happens a lot that I'll see that in a scripted show, and then I'm like, I want, I want to keep pushing improv so that it blurs the line, so that people, uh, as much as like, there's a big like a lot of theater shows are becoming a bit more minimalist, and a lot of 
improv shows are becoming a bit more theatrical in its presentation, I would love to reach that sweet spot where it really blurs the line, where you cannot really tell the difference. Uh, uh, to that, to, uh, to that point, there's a group out of LA called Impro Theater that I really admire, and they do, they really push it. Like they have full costumes. Sometimes they'll have full sets. Yeah, uh, and they lo- it looks like a like a play, and so. That's currently what, like, working in a scripted theater, how it inspires me, is that I want to achieve that point where I could, I want to be able to have a a crew, uh, a lighting designer, a set designer, a sound designer that could watch a show and while it's in progress, they could assist through their technical elements. Like, if I had my own improv theater and if somebody gave me, like, the fun, all the funding I needed, that's what my improv theater would look like. Yeah, yeah. There's a show that I, I created in Boston that now has uh, been performed elsewhere by other uh, other communities, uh, and it was a um, it was a show called Playbook, uh, and um, and the whole goal was that you start with the first page of a play that's been started but not finished, and so you go to I, I would ask actual playwrights, I'm like, could you give me the first page of an unfinished script, and so we take that first page. And the actors on stage will read from the script, and they'll be they'll walk around the stage with like blocking, but then once they hit the end of the page, the pages are dropped and the play continues. They just have to continue. Yeah, and so uh, and they have to perform it as best as they can, as a full play, and it's a pretty fun piece. So it's it's a uh, so even before I moved to Sarasota, I was already interested in this sort of blurring of the lines and now that I'm in a place like Florida Studio Theater it's giving me even more resources to to blur that yeah I saw a cool um, cool group the other day I wish I could remember their name mm-hmm. um, at the Ocean State Improv Festival which was a few months ago and it was um, just another Rhode Island yeah was um, this a group out of Texas uh, they might have been Parallelogram or phonograph? Oh, no, 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 no. No, not them. I've interviewed them. Oh, you have? So, oh, okay, cool. Yeah, they're the first episode. Um, awesome. Good, yeah, so I know them. Yeah. Um, no, it wasn't them. It was it was something totally different where it was it was just one... They're all two-person scenes, and one person had memorized all the lines mm. to a play, and then the other person just, you know, is, is improvising with them, but yeah. the person just continually has to say their, yeah. their next line. Which is super interesting. Yeah. I feel like almost something that you that you could do as like a it would be easy to do at, at your theater where you could literally just take someone who's like in a play. Yeah. And like, all right, just <laughs> like That's a good idea, come actually. Come in like just do this quick show that won't take any work. Just get like a good improviser, a right. few people who are like in a then you can use it to promote the other play. Too, That's a really good idea. <laughs> yeah, you, already, you already have people memorizing it, lines because that would be the hardest thing about doing it as like an improv team you're like yeah. oh, I have to remember like whenever I've seen that show and I've seen versions of that show I think the last one I saw was in Ottawa or somewhere and I've been impressed at how those actors could remember the lines and not get thrown off by the stuff I that's know. coming at them because I know when I do scripted theater a big part of me is try to not just remember your own lines but the cue lines like right. The, the cue line is really important, and to like not get thrown off by that is impressive. Yeah, because you still have to improvise mm-hmm. too. Like you yeah. can't. 
I don't know. It's not like you're just standing there reciting your lines at like yeah. to a ghost person, and then someone else is just like, right? Because you still have to be like, I don't know, even timing and stuff. Like, mm-hmm. I could say my next line now, but like, I think if I like hold off, they'll say something. Like, yeah. Yep. So it's it's tough to like multi. It doesn't make it any easier to know what you're gonna say. Right. No, I agree. I agree. Yeah. I had this like idea that I've. It would be cool would just be a, a lit herald mm. where like each of the three beats are like a different color ah. and so like the the lighting person would just kind of like guide guide it where like once you know once you kind of figured out what that first scene is about they might like turn on a yellow light and then mm-hmm. so then you know later like when there's a yellow light that like that's, that's really that's interesting that, that's that beat and then like if someone comes out and like ties, you know, connects yeah. two of the worlds, then you could two like, lights. you know, then you'd have like both the lights. So then everyone on the side would be like, "Oh, okay." Like I know that. Yes, yes. And it would just like, I don't know. That's make really it more like thematic. Yeah, yeah. I like I that. Know. Lots of things I've yeah. like, like oh, it would be cool to be if you like had all of the yeah resources right. of like a whole theater <laughs> to be able to do improv. So earlier you were referring to. Free, free form is free that form. how you yep. refer to it? Mm-hmm. And um, so I assume you're talking about a specific style, yes, right? Not just obviously not just a free, not just fr- it's free, a, form. right? Exactly. Yeah, it is. It's it's a specific style that we developed out of Improv Boston uh, that I developed when I first took over as artistic director. Uh, so it's it's a style that we've been now working and performing in for the last eighteen years or so. Cool. And is that what you did the workshop on today? Yes. Is that the Big Bang? The Big Bang, yeah. Improv? I read the description. Yeah. Um, so it doesn't seem like it has anything to do with the Big Bang Theory. And not, the, not the Big Bang Theory TV show <laughs> or anything like that. Thank yeah. God. Yeah. Thankfully. Yeah, we, um, we've had a few times where we, uh, I mean, un- unfortunately, the name of the group and the TV show kind of both started up at the same time, but I didn't want to give up the name uh, because there was a TV show at the same time. And and so now the TV show is about to end, so that'll be uh, that'll help us out. But even like, there's been a few times where people have showed up thinking that it was going to be cast members of the Big Bang. Oh, and, a, and I'm like, <laughs> or at least like an improvised. Yeah, like, and I'm like, well, there's like nothing in this description that says that. Sorry, <laughs> uh, but yeah, so that that was the workshop today. Cool. Yeah. So you want to just talk about about that? Like, explain because I don't know anything about. And I've been to Improv Boston and seen and seen some shows there, mm-hmm. but as far as its own unique form or sure, yeah, or style. And, and um, I, I like to talk about it in like uh, a few different ways. One is like what it started as and where it is now are definitely two different, two very different spaces, but it's all part of the same voyage. Like it, it, it came out of. Um, when I first started, when I was first the artistic director of Improv Boston, I had all this knowledge on in me on like short form and long form, and I was getting to practice both extensively. But I was never, I never really understood why they couldn't be done together. Like, why can't short form, why, why can't there be a short form show with some long form in it, or vice versa? And like back then, and I remember this, like in the late 90s, people were just like, no, there's two, there are two different things. Uh, you can't, I mean, it, it was like saying, you know, why can't I play basketball and 
baseball at the same exact time, right? And people are like, no, these are two different things. You cannot mix them. And so I'm like, there's got to be a way. There's there's some similarities here. There's enough similarities to find a new middle ground. So the first version of Freeform was essentially me messing around with the merging of long-form concepts and short-form games. So like one of the first early short-form games, short, I'm sorry, one of the early Freeform shows you would see would be maybe the, the the characters from the first scene of a short form show. Those characters would then move on to the second scene, the second game, and then those characters, some characters, move on to the third game. So you would start to see these characters flow through a short form show. That was like the very early freeform. And then, as I started, as we kind of got used to that, I'm like, okay, how about if we keep doing our sh- our freeform show? Uh, our short form freeform show, but not every scene needs to be a game. Some of the scenes could just be a scene, right? And so then now we have short form merged with open scene work, right? And then as it went on, the short form elements started to get stripped away. We would still play short form ga- uh, short form games, but we wouldn't play the full game. So what what I mean by that is maybe in the middle of a random scene, somebody would say ding should have said right yeah. or thing can i get a new emotion whatever right like we would just start to infuse the long form set with short form elements and then eventually even that started to get stripped away and we started to find a way to kind of just fluidly move between scenes in a very at a very rapid pace uh with these very fancy editing techniques or at least not maybe not fancy but very new editing techniques that were all being developed at improv boston uh as a way and these editing techniques were different from other techniques because one thing i didn't want my actors to do anymore is that i didn't want them to sweep or tag out or do any of that i'm like i I basically said you could you could do a sweep without sweeping the stage or you could do a tag out without actually touching the person Right, and so that became what is now that sort of deleted to what is now the current format of free form, which is a very fluid, fast moving form uh, where no two show is no two shows are even remotely alike. They're always very very different because they are unique creations of that evening of those performers by those performers and the end our collaboration with the audience. Yeah, so that's kind of where we're at right now. And it's become a very popular format. Uh, we get hired a lot to teach it around the world, actually. I, I mean, I, I go, I do a lot of touring in Asia and in uh, Europe and in the, and the Middle East and Latin America. And it, it's become a very popular format. And even here in the States, it's starting to grow a bit more as well. Oh, that's, it's interesting because that was almost the thing I was going to bring up earlier when we were talking about the doing improv in a theater yeah. is, is that idea of edits. And I think that because I think that that's one of the hardest, the thing that like that strikes the uninitiated improv audience, yeah, um, as as being so distinctly different from from theater. Mm-hmm. You know, I think if you've never seen improv before and you went and saw TJ and Dave do a you know their hour long mm-hmm. one act mono scene, yeah, I think you'd be like that makes sense because they don't do any wipes, they don't do any right. edits, they don't do any like we see, we see on this table yeah. or like we cut to. Whereas like you know once you start doing wipes and doing tag outs and doing all these crazy things, if you've never seen improv, you're like oh right, you know what's going on. Whereas when you have lighting and stuff, mm-hmm. I almost feel like everyone on the side should like 
have a button that like <laughs> dims the light and it's like you know so instead of just instead of just wiping you're just like right press, and then it's just like oh lights down mm-hmm. which is like um so it's interesting that you were saying that you were already kind of thinking about that even before you were playing to a more theatery yeah theatery audience yeah i mean even back then i i was I was very intrigued by the theatricality of of the of, of improvisation, and I even get my performers. I, I try to I try to get them to not be too improv-y in what they're doing, right? And like, I don't want their the presentation to be almost exclusively for improvisers, right? Like, like you noted, like. With tag outs and sweeps, like those are, it, it, that's very, it, that's a very improv move that most theater goers would not fully comprehend. Right. Right. And so I tell my my actors, I'm like, if you know, a, an improv audience can go see a scripted show, a scripted show with very s- subtle blocking and very subtle editing, and, and they'll get it. And it's assisted by light sometimes and sound, sure, but they'll get visually what's happening. So I challenge my students and my performers. I'm like, let's try to do the same with our improv, right? Let's not feel like we need to explain everything for them. I think an audience could be very, I think audiences are very intelligent and they will get it as long as we're very clear with what it is that we're trying to present. You kind of mentioned that you came up with new innovative edits. Mm -hmm. What are some of these? (laughs) So the standard like, uh, so for example, my class today, uh, for a two and a half hour class, like the one I taught today, I could only really get into like thirty to forty percent of all the freeform things. But the one, the first thing we start with is very simply, and this was a bit more. It's a bit less groundbreaking now than it was back then when we first started to do it. And that was like a whole idea of no sweeps, like just enter the stage, own the stage, pull focus to yourself. And once you pull the focus, then the other person relinquishes focus, and that becomes the sweep. Because for me, all a sweep is doing, when you do a sweep, you're essentially just pulling focus to yourself, to, and you're cueing the other actor, hey, I got this, and they're moving off, right? And I, I, I teach that there's ways to do that without having them run across. You could walk off the back line fully present and fully uh, presenting, and that serves the same purpose as the sweep. Uh, the other, uh, the second thing I teach in my workshop is the idea of, of a character pivot, and this is traditionally what is a tag out, right? So like somebody comes in and tags somebody out, and then the remaining person stays, right? And then you do a scene with them. What we do in my workshop is we try to do tag outs without the actual tag. It all depends on body language and eye contact, and you get the same results, except it's a lot cleaner and it's a lot more efficient. Okay. Uh, then there's this other one that uh, that is the actor pivot that I teach, which is basically. I, as the actor inside of the scene, could at any point in my, at any point in the scene turn around and make eye contact with somebody else and pull them into my scene as well uh, to start a brand new scene. So these three together uh, will take out sweeps and tag outs and then, and then get a much more efficient, fluid flow. Then the next three edits are the ones that really kind of help with Improv Boston and the style that we do. The first one is called a line pivot, which means that if there's a line in a scene that you find very intriguing or interesting in some way, you repeat it from off stage. You just do a slight repetition of it, right? So if somebody says, uh, today is gonna be the day, like let's just say that they say that in their scene, right. in the middle right. of a conversation, then I'm off, off stage and then I say, today is going to be the day, and I just repeat it, and that tells everybody, that cues the people on stage, okay, there's a line repetition going on, that person is pulling focus, 
right? And then after I repeated somebody else's response to me in a very different way, and now that's the new scene. So that is a very simple sort of line repetition. And then sometimes we'll do what is called a cascade, where that line bounces off of like four different scenes. Today is gonna be the day. Well, I can't wait. There's scene one. That's on, suddenly somewhere else. Today is gonna be the day. I can't wait to attack those villains. Then somebody else says, today is gonna be the day. And then the response might be, I can't wait to start school or whatever. And then that that's a ricochet of the line that goes across a bunch of different scenes. And it just sort of quickly just touches a bunch of scenes before it lands on one. So that's a, that's a line pivot. And then there's something called the object pivot, which is if I'm in a scene with you and I'm holding a cocktail glass, right, a martini glass, let's say, and you and I are in a scene and we're like these billionaires talking about how much money we have and we're just sipping on, mart on our, martinis, our martinis. And then in the middle of our scene, while I'm talking to you, another actor comes in from off stage, mimes stealing my martini glass. Right, and if, uh, for those of you who can't see me, what I'm doing right now is I'm pretending to hold a martini glass in my right hand while my left hand comes in and sort of <laughs> sweeps the martini glass away. Well, that sweep, that subtle intersection of martini glass, that's a new scene. So as you and I are here chatting, somebody else comes in right in between us. They walk right through the table that you and I have established. The fact that they walk through the table already right. tells, tells us, us, us that a new scene. Is over, yeah. yeah, and they'll come in and they'll take the martini glass. And then they, they, that becomes a new scene with a martini glass. And then you and I sort of, you, you and I will fade off to the background, okay? And that, that the object pivot, or sometimes referred to as the object snatch, well then, that goes to a new scene, and then somebody else, a few minutes down the line, comes in, pulls the martini glass, except this time, as they pull the martini glass, it slowly becomes a pull stick, right? And then suddenly, and if, People could see me now. They would see, they would see that my fingers from the martini glass sort of turned into my hand going around a, a, a pool stick, and now we're in a billiard hall. Okay, uh, and so the snatch edit is a very fluid way to kind of move through different scenes without sweeping or tagging out or clapping or saying anything. Okay, the last pivot uh, that I teach. Uh, in my shortened class, in the two-hour class, is just the physical pivot. And so that what that might look like is uh, I'm, a see, I'm doing a scene where I'm a waiter and I'm holding a tray uh, and I am uh, serving drinks on your table. And then while I am doing this, somebody from offstage comes in and if the folks on the podcast would, would be able to see me, they would see that my left hand is taking a glass off the tray my left hand is putting the glass on the mimed table. And then during this moment, somebody comes in from off stage and immediately puts their neck where my open left hand is. Okay? And they come in and now they're making, they're pretending to be choked. Right? And now this is a physical pivot. So suddenly this character becomes this character on one quick edit and switch. Right? Uh, and, and so those three pivot tools are the start of a bunch of other pivot tools. But then just those three alone will cause, again, this very fluid, very efficient, very rapid show where scenes are directly uh, connected by narrative and characters or loosely connected by lines and objects and physicality. That's interesting, yeah. A lot of them remind me of film or like cinematography mm -hmm. techniques where I mean, you know, they're all they're all, I guess, ways that scenes end, right? Where yeah. it's like, 
either it's the one person you know saying something and then the other scene starts with another you know another yeah. character and they're both saying the same thing yeah or you know it zooms you know i'm smoking a cigarette and then it zooms in on the cigarette and yes. then when it zooms out it's a new character you know it's cut to someone else smoking a cigarette or uh, yeah and i've been very much inspired by cinema very much the way that I described watching plays and trying to recreate what I'm seeing in a play, it was the same thing. It's like I would watch movies and I'd be like, how do we, that's really cool. How can I create that through improv without actually saying that I'm doing it, right? Because the other thing, in addition to no sweeps and no tag outs, I don't want my actors to use verbal cues. Like I don't, I'll, I'll sometimes let my char- my actors break the fourth wall as narrators because that's a, a common theatrical device but I try to get them not to say you know cut to this or jump to that or right. whatever but it's like how could we do that without actually saying it right and that's where a lot of these edits come from finding that very fluid place play space uh, and ultimately like what it is now if you look at watch freeform now the cast is in a space, mentally, we get into a space where we are constantly deconstructing every moment. Like we're watching every moment of a every moment of a show just to see an opportunity to pivot into something else. And that pivot point might be an object, it might be a line, it might be a, a way that someone is standing. Uh, it just might be the way that the audience responds to something. But the moment something catches our attention, we'll grab it and pivot it into some into something else. And and with the Big Bang, when we do that show, what ends up happening is that the first third of the show is all exploration. We're bouncing, bouncing, bouncing. Second third of the show, we start to reuse and recycle different elements. And the final third of the Big Bang is usually closure. And it's always, it's not intentional. It's like very organic. We don't even, we're not planning the, the callbacks. We're not planning the closeout scenes. They just naturally start to occur. And it's, it's a really awesome, fun feeling as an improviser. Yeah, that's cool. I was gonna ask you. So a lot of that first stuff was like style, you know, how yeah. you, how you do the the edits and mm-hmm. things. Um, I was gonna ask you about form, but I guess you kind of just described it there. Yeah, the three so acts. Have, like, yeah, and that's again a sort of a reflection of how freeform. The way we teach it is still very much rooted in what I and many of the first members learned in improv, like. We all, you know, I did my, I did, I studied with IO and UCB, so the, the three beat structure of a long form is still very much in my blood, and that definitely feeds a free form format. As did every short form game that I play, that's still in my blood, and it feeds some of the development of, of, uh, of, of, of free form. Yeah. So, how long is there like usually a, a length that you guys try to do it? Ideally, do you- an hour. Yeah. yeah, ideally it would be an hour-long show. Uh, but we will, depending on where we're performing, we'll do anything from like 25 minutes to 75 minutes usually. Cool. Yeah. Cool, yeah, I like the idea. I like some of those edits. It's always cool to like hear about mm-hmm. hear about new new edits. I yeah. feel like it's, sometimes, I guess sometimes I feel like super improv nerdy. Mm-hmm. Where, like You see someone do like, where like an edit is like the coolest thing that you see in like oh, yeah. the entire show. You're like... I just want to talk to that person about that one <laughs> edit that they like that they did. Yeah, yeah. I do a whole episode just about editing. <laughs> Speaking of, are there any like 
have any other fancy edits just to share with the <laughs> to share with the world uh, that are either part of the form or just like uh, the uh, there are other pivot edits that we do that are part of like uh, there's this whole other part of narrative pivoting where we do break the fourth wall as a narrator to help pivot off of the the scene that you're watching and it might be like the simplest narrative pivot would be following the story that's in play right now so like we narrate through a story that we're watching like that's the very basic narrating pivot but then you could also pivot off of elements in the scene so for example in the martini glass example i gave earlier i might do a narration pivot off the glass so i might say something about where that glass was made right and what factory in the middle of ohio made this martini glass and who was the name of the person that put this martini glass in a box? And then we go into a scene about that person, right? So you, so we do, we could do. Often we'll start to do narration pivots off of elements in the scene, just to kind of explore tangential storylines, right? Uh, and and uh, so that that's a fun one. Another one that is probably the most complicated of the um, of the elements in freeform is is. Uh, is what we call texturing scenes. So what that means is purposefully overlapping one scene on top of another. So if scene A is going, we purposefully put scene B on top of it, literally overlapping space. And the goal there being, in the same way that two actors have a dynamic on stage, we also can play the dynamic of two scenes. So we're scene A uh, an example, and this is, came out of a workshop I taught in London uh, when I was teaching this idea of, of texturing. There was a scene of a young girl trying to pick a puppy to adopt at, like, a, at an adoption agency. She's yeah. going looking at a bunch of puppies, really happy. And then at, after like about 30 seconds, another actor comes out. And purposefully, the timing was so that you could tell that this person who came out was not intending to edit the scene because the scene, the first scene was not over by any means. So they were not intending on editing the scene. And they also came out in a way that you could tell they were not entering the scene. So these two cues cued us all in that this scene is different. This scene is on its own. And so what ended up happening, and this is like the power of texturing uh, in freeform, is that we have a young girl that is adopting a puppy and then this overlapping scene of someone burying their dog. And they're happening at the same exact time yeah. on stage. Yeah. And so to purposefully overlap uh, is, is, can be, create a very powerful dynamic. And then if you learn that, then to start to apply that even further to get a third and fourth scene in and the overlapping could be a very powerful tool. Yeah. That sounds super cool, but like it would be super hard. It's a hard thing to teach because uh, it really requires. It's the it's the last thing I teach at a freeform class because it requires just this really acute sense of awareness of everything that is happening around you. You have to be able to tell that the person coming in is not here to edit me. They're not here to join me. So why are they here? Yeah. And so you have to trust. And the only way you could do that, if you if you sense that they're not here to edit you or to join you, then what you the the intuition of a freeformer is to just stay, and just stay. I'm mean, I'm gonna keep doing what I'm doing, and then there are times like you're doing what you're doing, and you can't even see what they're doing. 
you know they're around you and they're doing something but your goal is to just commit to your action and there's been silent times on that I, I've never even seen what was happening behind me yeah all but, right. I, but I just know that whatever it is is effective because the audience is responding but I just gotta commit to my thing I'm gonna keep commit to my action and trust that this di- that this relationship between these two scenes will work yeah yeah I feel like that one has to be one that like everyone has to be on the same page yeah. and like aware that that's a move that that can happen yeah but I imagine if you were doing that with someone who, who isn't familiar with it right then they would just be <laughs> and, and usually it comes down to like I tell people like if you're if, if you feel somebody editing you on stage and your intuition is to look over your shoulder to see what exact the heck is going on like if if your first intuition didn't tell you to leave, right, because of the timing, like if your first intuition wasn't to leave the stage, then you stay on and stay and just finish your action until you are done. And just trust that whatever is going on behind you is for your own good and it's for the, for the good of the show. Uh, and so, again, it's a very difficult, it's like a very huge leap of trust and faith, even regardless of how advance the improvisers that I'm working with. Like, this is a big... So it's, it's like one more final jump of faith that an improviser needs to take on. Yeah. <laughs> I, gu- I guess that's even hard. I was even thinking about the fact that you... So you'll do the the walk-on starting a second scene instead of a wipe edit, right? Right. So, well, so then doesn't that even get more confusing? Mm-hmm. Because, like, if you're, you know... If you're if you're facing one side of the stage and you're doing something and then the other person comes on yeah and you and like you said you don't you never even see them and yeah. you don't even know what they're doing then like yeah. how do you and before you were saying you know when you come in to do the the edit by starting a second scene if you're yeah. just really you know you just try to bring yourself into focus yeah so that it's obvious that this is your new scene yeah but then how is like the that first player how are you how do you tell like did he come out? Is he like starting a second scene and I'm supposed to like leave, or or do, or do I double down on what I'm? And that's the thing. It's like if, if you if you came in at a point where I didn't see you, like you came in when I wasn't looking, and you put yourself in a place where it, I know you're there, but it's hard for me to see what you're doing, then I'm gonna trust that you intentionally did that. You intentionally came in at a point where I couldn't see you, and where I can't see you. Uh, in a way to kind of just tell me like hey this is not really for you right now this is for the audience to see and less for you to see but if you came in at a point where you knew I could see you and I could hear you and all of that then that would actually cue me to tell me okay you're you're coming in for the specific with well, that specific with one of the re- purposes to communicate to me that I need to work work off of you in some way Right, so it's almost like you're 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 intentionally, and again, it all comes down to like small body language and angles on stage. Like it's all like you know, do I if I come in back if you're if you're downstage right, or like middle downstage right, if I come in and I'm I put myself further downstage left, and I know you could see me. That's me intentionally trying to take focus from you, intentionally putting myself in a space where you could see me. Because my goal here is to take focus. But yeah. If I, but if I come in, if I come in and I don't talk to you, I don't do anything. But I put myself somewhere in your blind spot. You know I'm somewhere over there. 
Right? Yeah. And that's me kind of intentionally telling you, this is not for you to see, this is for the audience to see. Yeah, I guess you that know? still makes sense with like... It would take reps. It takes a lot of reps to really understand and and, and, uh, and feel that out. Well, yeah. It's, it's, it's fun to see it in action when it works. Yeah. Seems like it would be super cool. Yeah. Aside from all the tools, you'll notice that a lot of the players that are best at it, and a lot of them are on my group, uh, Big Bang, a lot of them have a, a sense of play and a sense of joy that's really important. And I think part of that comes from like the loosening of the rules of freeform. It allows us to really get into a, into a fun space. Where we are, uh, what, one of the tenets that we use is follow, uh, we, we, there's two different variations on it. One of them uh, is to follow the funny, and now we, we've also been saying follow the joy. So it's one of the two things. So it's either one, whichever one speaks to you the most. But basically, all of these tools, this whole toolbox of freeform, is just meant to empower you to, you know, the moment something makes you laugh, let's dig into it. Let's just go there and let's just follow it and see where that goes to. And then you string enough, you string together enough fun and joyous moments the audience is gonna be right there with you. They're gonna love the ride as well. Ultimately, it comes down to that. I could teach you all the edits and all the tools, but if you as a performer cannot find those moments of joy and fun to follow, then it doesn't matter how well you know the edits. You know? Yeah, I think that's the case with all <laughs> improv, right? It is, it yeah. It doesn't matter how much you know the Herald if you... If you if, yeah, if you're not having fun and, and specifically don't know how to follow that fun, you know, then, then uh, and that for me is big just as a director and the teacher. Follow the fun, follow the fun, follow the funny, follow the joy, and that that for me will will tell you if you know, tell you if you're going down the right right way, and not only right way inside of a scene or inside of a show, but like inside as a career improviser, right? If it, if it no longer brings you joy, then it might be time to find a new hobby. As ha- as sad as that makes me feel. Right, but I ultimately want you to be happy. So if improv is not doing that for you, then you know, take up dancing, take a cooking class. You know, find something that's going to bring you joy. Great, yeah, I think that's a great. uh, That's like a great button. (laughs) Thank you. You've been listening to Improv Town. If you enjoyed this episode, rate and review us wherever you listen to podcasts. And if you're in the Rhode Island area, don't forget to check out all the great local improv. Pig, the Providence Improv Guild, has shows every Thursday, Friday, and Saturday at 8. The Contemporary Theater down in Wakefield is currently doing Maestro Improv at 9.30 on Fridays. And the Bit Players do Shore Form down in Newport every Friday and Saturday night at the Firehouse Theater. And that's BYOB, so that's always fun. You can also check out Improv Jones, Rhode Island's longest-running improv show, on the first Saturday of every month. That's down at the uh, AS220 Black Box in Providence. Last but not least, there's a new improv theater in town, Wage House, which has shows every Friday night at 8 in Pawtucket. And many of these theaters also offer great improv classes, so don't forget to check those out as well. I'm sure Google can help you find everything you need. See you next time.